Now, the text, not very long, one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, and it reads like this. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God... This word, this endures forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. But not this. Now, guys, I'm I'm sure you've heard someone say, or maybe you said it yourself, um, I'm saving my best for last. Well, apparently, in the mind of the author of Hebrews, these three men that are mentioned in this paragraph, that would be Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, that's, that's exactly what they did. They saved their best for their last. Those are, in this one paragraph, the, the events mentioned all come from the end of the life of these three men. Now, gang, don't, don't confuse Jacob and Joseph. Jacob is the dad. Joseph is the son. You've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's, he's the one that had all the boys, 11 sons, which ultimately became the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one of the sons of Jacob is a guy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph is in view here in verse 22. So we're talking about Joseph. Now, as for Joseph, after this long and illustrious life, which um, uh, ended with him being the prime minister of Egypt, which one thing is singled out by the author of Hebrews as the illustration of Joseph's faith. What one thing? Well, I know what it is. It's uh, it's when he interpreted all those dreams. Nope, that wasn't it. Well, okay, well, then it was, uh, you know, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and and he resisted all of her uh, approaches. That wasn't that either. Okay, okay. It was, um, it was his able governing of Egypt during the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. Nope, that's not what he uses either. It was a dying act. Look at the text. It says, at the end of his life, which, by the way, is recorded in Genesis 50. And in this dying act, Joseph mentions two things. Um, it's mentioned back here in Genesis 50, but it is recorded here too. He mentions one specifically, and then he, there's a second in there by way of implication. The thing that he mentions specifically is the exodus. Now, you know what that term is, don't you? Um, it's just, it refers to Israel's leaving uh, Egypt. They made a movie out of it called The Exodus. It was Israel leaving Egypt. You remember that, all that? That's the Exodus. Well, he makes mention of that in a dying act. The thing that he mentions by way of implication has to do with the land promised to Israel by God because he talks about his bones. I want you to take my bones with you, and, and you know, I, don't, I want you to put them up there. Well, they're going to have to put them in a place of land. So he's assuming that God is going to keep his promise about the land that he's going to give to Israel too. Now... Um, Joseph senses he's dying. 
he calls his brothers up to the mansion on the Nile, and he gives them instructions concerning his bones. (laughs) And the author of Hebrews calls that faith. Now, how is that faith? He, he, he brings his brothers into his bedroom and he says, listen, guys, you know, I'm, I'm on my way out here, so uh, take my bones with you. Make sure they go. How is that faith? Well, think about it, guys. The exodus. At this point, when Joseph says that in Genesis 50, is still 100 years off. At this moment, when Joseph says this, Joseph is still a rock star in Egypt. No, nobody could have foreseen the, the days of slavery and affliction and oppression and, and killing all the babies and all of that. That's a hundred years off into the future. Joseph is a, is, a, is a hero in Egypt. Nobody saw the events that would ultimately uh, prompt this thing called the Exodus. But you see, God had said it. God had said that Israel's not going to remain in Egypt. They're going to come out. And Joseph knew what he said. And he believed that promise. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I think we call faith. The, the idea of the land, in this land thing, you know, you're going to take my bones with you, you're going to bury them in that land, you know. Um, that land, it, it, by the way, that was 150 years off. That land already had some owners, several of them, in fact. So how is this going to happen? How is God's people going to get this land? Joseph doesn't know that. Um, He doesn't know it, at least at this point. All he knows is that God has made some promises. He has made some promises, and that's all he knows. God has made some promises about the future of his people. And Joseph believes that. And that's called faith. Guys, um, Joseph tells his brothers, in light of what I've heard that God has said, in light of, in, in light of what I know God has promised, um, when you leave here, you go get my bones, you dig them up, and you take them with you. Because I'm coming with you. I'm, I, I'm, I'm no Egyptian. Uh, e- even though they see me as their savior at this point, uh, you know, they all love me now. Um, and, and, and all these Egyptians would love for me to be buried here in, e- in Egypt. And these people in Egypt, they really know how to bury people, you know, those pyramid things. But, I, but I'm not staying here. Um, the, the, the homage of Egypt is... It can't compare with the, with the promises that God has made to us. I want my bones in the land that God promised his people. How it's going to unfold, I don't know. But God has made a promise concerning the welfare of his, the future welfare of his people. And that's where I want to be. 
my future and my future habitation, my future location, God made a promise about, and I want to be there. You see, for Joseph, Egypt couldn't hold a candle to Canaan because the greatest thing in Joseph's life was the promises that God has made to his people. And he believed those promises. And um, that, that's what you call faith, ladies and gentlemen. All, all the things that God had done in his life, none of them moved him like what he heard God say. And we call that faith. In, in fact, remember the definition that we got of faith in verse 1 of Hebrews 11? Look, look at it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what Joseph is doing. He has an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things that nobody, nobody saw. But that's okay. God said it concerning my future. And, and, and I believe that. You know, what, what a testimony Joseph had, even as a sack of bones. Can you imagine this? Um, you know, Israel is, is on her way out of, uh, of Egypt, and, and um, she's being led now by a guy by the name of Moses. Who's Moses? At, at, at least when Joseph said what he said. Who, who's this Moses guy? They don't know who he's Moses. But now Moses is around and leading Israel, and they're leaving, um, they're leaving Egypt and Moses instructs somebody to go get a bag of bones. And, and he gets the bones, and by those bones even, the people of Israel are reminded that this ex-deliverer, this savior of Egypt, this man of fame and fortune, he openly denounces all, all of that worldly fame and fortune stuff so that he could identify himself with God's people. He was, um, he was weaned. <laughs> he was weaned from finding his, his meaning in life tied to fleshly comforts. It does interest me to say at least this. You know, guys, um, Joseph was not affected by his prosperity. You know what prosperity can do to you? All the options that it gives you and, and all of the uh, things that money can buy. It doesn't have to ruin you. I mean, it ruins a lot of people, but it didn't ruin Joseph, and it doesn't have to ruin you. And then... Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. He dies. Joshua takes over. And in the last chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 30, or 22, I think, we're told that Joshua buries Joseph's bones in Shechem, in the promised land, just as he had requested. Now, guys, uh, before I leave um, Joseph, I, I want to tell you just a little bit more about him 
about Joseph, that is, um, and it's not, it's not found in verse 22. It's not found in our text. But Joseph is a very significant um, Old Testament figure. You know, over half of the book of Genesis is written about his dad and him, uh, Jacob and, and Joseph. Over half the book. Um, this is a commentary written by A.W. Pink on the book of, of uh, Genesis. And he includes an appendage in the back of the book. And over 70 pages are devoted to Joseph's similarities to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> probably <clears throat> probably the, um, the greatest Christ type in all of the Old Testament is Joseph. And Pink spent 70 pages uh, uh, describing the similarities between the two. Now, as for me, I would suggest to you that the apex of the whole Joseph story, the whole life and times of Joseph, the apex occurs in verse in chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. And I'd love for you to see it. So if you still got your Bibles open, if you'll turn to Genesis 41, I want to show you what, what I would suggest is the, is the real apex of, um, of Joseph's life. Now, so let me, let me tell you the story, and then we'll, we'll get up to chapter 41 in just a minute. Just, just quickly rehearse the story of Joseph's life. Joseph's father was a guy by the name of Jacob, and Jacob had 11 sons. Um, Joseph was not the youngest. Benjamin was the youngest. Um, but Joseph was his daddy's favorite. Now, y- you remember, I'm sure, if you ever went to Sunday school, the story about the multicolored coat. You know, Joseph was given the multicolored coat. And uh, none of the other boys got that multicolored coat. There, That was really fancy stuff, you know, when daddy gave, uh, you know, uh, Joseph the multicolored coat. And his brothers hated him for it. Joseph also dreamed some dreams about his prominence. That didn't help either. But Joseph's brothers despised Joseph because Joseph elevated himself above the rest of them. And so they decided that he needed to be murdered. And so one day when they were keeping the sheep, Joseph came to visit them. And they all got together. I think there was like nine of them then. They got together and said, "Um, let's kill him. Let's kill Joseph. And uh, so they threw him in this pit, and, and, and they were going to take his, his multicolored coat, and they were going to, you know, dab some animal blood and go tell Daddy that uh, he was torn to pieces by a wild animal. But they changed their mind. They got talked out of killing him, and they ended up selling him to a caravan who, that was headed to Egypt. And so they get him out of the hole that they had thrown him into, Joseph, that is, and they sell Joseph to this caravan that's going to Egypt. Once it arrives in Egypt, uh, Joseph is put on an auction block as an 18-year-old boy and is sold as a common slave. He is bought by a, uh, a man whose name was Potiphar, who happened to be a captain in Pharaoh's army. Potiphar bought Joseph as a common slave, takes him home and uh, makes him head of all of his household affairs. No pun intended. Um, But Potiphar has a wife, 
She's never named. She's just called Potiphar's wife. Well, Potiphar's wife sees this handsome young 18-year-old boy and tries to seduce him. Joseph resists her charms and uh, rebuffs her and runs. At the end of the day, when Potiphar comes home from work, the wife lies to her husband about what has happened. And as a result of those lies, Joseph is sent to prison, put in a dungeon, based on pure fabrications by Potiphar's wife. And so now Joseph, the favored son of of Jacob, uh, now is no longer a slave. He's a prisoner in an Egyptian dungeon. Well, while he's down there, Pharaoh um, gets mad at two of his favorite servants, the chief baker and the chief cupbearer. And they're thrown into prison alongside Joseph. And while there, uh, these two servants, the cupbearer and the baker, they uh, have a dream. And their dream terrifies them. And so they they share their dream. and, And Joseph is able to interpret the dream for them. His interpretation was that one of them, the cupbearer, would be restored, but the uh, baker was going to be executed. Sure enough, that happens. The baker is executed. The cupbearer is restored to prominence. That brings us to chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. And you'll notice that chapter 41 of Genesis begins this way, after two whole years. You see that? Well, that's the two years that Joseph spent in prison um, as a, just a criminal. Well, about two years later, after he had interpreted the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer, Pharaoh, up in the palace, he has a dream too. Pharaoh has a dream. And it's a, it's a very graphic dream. It's got two halves to it, the dream does. But one half of the dream is this. There were seven healthy fat cows and seven skinny gaunt cows. And the seven skinny cows eat up the seven fat cows, but having eaten them, you still can't tell any difference. They're still skinny. And so Pharaoh is all a Twitter. He wants somebody to interpret his dream, and there's nobody in his court that can can interpret the dream. About that time, the cupbearer remembers. Oh, I remember that while I, you know, when I was in your disfavor, O Pharaoh, um, you sent me to prison, and while I was down there, uh, there was a guy, I don't know who he was, don't remember his name, it was two years ago, you know, and, and, uh, but he interpreted my dream. And so they finally figured out who it is, and Pharaoh says, well, for heaven's sakes, go get him. Maybe he can help us. So they get him out of prison, and they bring him up to Pharaoh's courtroom, and, and, and um, Pharaoh tells him the dream. And Joseph says, well, I know what that means. Uh, those seven fat cows, those seven skinny cows, you know what that means? That means that you're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And everybody is overwhelmed 
that Joshua could pull that off. Excuse me, that Joseph could pull that off. And so Pharaoh says to his court, he says, um, Oh my gosh, if that's going to happen, if we're going to have seven years of this, seven years of that, I need to find somebody to run the country while that's going on. Now if you'll look, if you're at 41, this is verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh says, well, I mean, if he can interpret the dreams, then there's nobody in my, in my kingdom that is as smart as this guy. So I'm going to put him in charge. And as a 30-year-old, Joseph is in charge of the whole country. He's only got one boss. That would be Pharaoh. Everybody else in Egypt answers to Joseph. Joseph is number two. The king is the only one over him. And, 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 and Joseph is running everything. And so sure enough, his interpretation of the dreams come true. Seven years of, fa- of plenty. Oh, everybody's fat and happy. They're, you know, they're bringing in big old loads of grain and, and uh, you know, their crops are just multiplying. And they got all this. And Joseph, all the while, is storing it in, in silos all over the country. For seven years, they have seven years of plenty. And then the famines arise, or arrive. Look. Look at verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. The good times are over, ladies and gentlemen. Now the famine has arrived. Keep reading with me. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in my humble opinion, the apex of the entire story of Joseph occurs in this next verse, verse 55. You see what happened, don't you? The famine is now there. And all these starving, famished people are showing up at the palace. And they're saying, hey, Pharaoh, what's the deal here? Why don't you give us some food? We need some food here, famine. I mean, uh, Pharaoh, we're, we're dying out here. We need, some, we need some food. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. When he says to you, do. Bunch of starving people packed into the, the throne room saying to Pharaoh, 
We need something to eat. Pharaoh says, go to Joseph. If you're starving, for heaven's sakes, go to Joseph. If it's food that you're looking for, you're going to have to go to Joseph. I mean, if it's resources that you want, you're going to have to go to Joseph. If you want relief, then for heaven's sakes, you're going to have to go to Joseph. If you're finally done with this foolish notion that you can solve this on your own, then go to Joseph. If your fears about your future have overcome you, then you need to go to Joseph. Because my friends, there's no one else in my kingdom that can help you. If you want help, You need to go to Joseph. Now guys, listen to me. Jacob, the father of Joseph. Jacob is not the only father with a favored son. There is another father with a favored son. His only begotten, his only beloved son. And his name is Jesus Christ, of whom Joseph is but a type. And moreover, those people in Egypt, they're not the only ones that are starving, ladies and gentlemen. They're not the only ones needing relief. So is everyone in this room. These Egyptians, they're not the only ones who are out of resources. Everyone in this room is out of resources. These people in Egypt They're not the only ones that have great fear about what's going to happen in their future. Everyone in this room has fears of what the future holds. And I say to you, my dear friend, If you want relief, you're going to have to go to Jesus. Oh, 
Oh, my friends, help is available. All the resources that you need are at your disposal. But you're not going to be able to find them in any place but with Jesus. You're going to have to go to the one to whom Joseph points. Oh, dear ones, just as Pharaoh established that all remedy, all solution was to be found with Joseph, so too has God established that every need that the soul has ever had Oh, it can be remedied. But only by going to Jesus. If you refuse to go, you will die. If your if your pride prohibits you from reaching out with the hand of a beggar to lay hold of the gift of a king, if you're too proud for that, you will die. If you are so determined to find another way to solve your soulish problems, you will die. Oh, my friends. Life is within your reach. But to have it, you must go to Jesus. Help will be found nowhere else. Father, I pray that you will, by the Holy Ghost of God, convince men and women that this is true. That the only place that the soul will ever find help will be, um, will be at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. That the remedies that we so long for, remedies are are available but they're remedies that are only had by reaching out with the hand of a beggar and laying hold to the gift of a king 
because the only resources that exist are resources that are distributed by Jesus Christ and him alone. Oh God, for those of us who have gone to that place and found bread as beggars, we are so grateful that there is a remedy. If you've brought people here this morning who have not yet laid hold of that remedy, would you open their eyes to see the enormity of the need and drive them to the place where they raced to where Jesus can be found. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In whose name we pray.